And so that's why the word of God, like, does is scripture the standard? That's why we ha you have to establish that before you can even answer any of the other big and meaningful questions. Well, welcome to episode one, guys, of Forgotten Neighbor. This is our first episode. This is the first one. Number one, number uno. So thanks for stopping by. We're really excited about this episode. Um, and so we're, we're going to talk about quite a few things um, with this podcast. But um, as sort of a foundational episode, we're going to talk about... Uh, scripture. We're going to talk yeah. about can we trust it? Can we believe what it says? Can we actually go there for um, for authority yeah. in our life? If you don't, if you don't first establish that scripture is a standard you can go to, or the standard you can go to, then you've really you really just kind of throw yourself into an either anarchy <clears throat> or submission to a different authority. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and so you see this in a lot of uh, in a lot of denominations. So, for example, in Roman Catholicism, they accept that scripture is inerrant and infallible, but they uh, but they do not accept it as the standard, the one, the singular standard by which we uh, <clears throat> they script. They, we call scripture the norm that norms all the other norms basically mm, yeah. they don't they don't think of scripture like that they think of scripture as one source of divine truth alongside of uh capital t tradition yep um yep. and they see the magisterium of the church as the infallible interpreter so really you've got three sources of information there and um that you kind of end up submitting to different authorities there or Lots of denominations have, uh, as of, you know, like the 20th century, um, and really before then, even, uh, rejected inerrancy. And that's where you kind of just go into anarchy. Um, acceptance of uh, culture, the culture's ethics um, regarding sexuality, regarding uh, the person of Jesus. Was he even real? You know, some denominations have gone so far as to say, you don't even have to believe that mm. Jesus was a real historical person to be an ordained minister. Mm. Mm. So yeah. that's why the word of God, like, does is scripture the standard? That's why we ha you have to establish that before you can even answer any of the other big and meaningful questions. Because I think that's where you could say there's the greatest variance in evangelicalism yeah. is... If, if you have sections of them that are totally accepting of the LGBT community and some that uh, are seem to hold quite a hard line on it, yeah. my guess is the difference is yeah. one is holding strongly to biblical inerrancy and authority and one is mm -hmm. holding it rather loosely. And that's a trend in lots of different things. Lots of uh, I, one one trend I have noticed is that a rejection of inerrancy oftentimes leads to a rejection of penal substitution as mm -hmm. well for the atonement because because the reality is is that penal substitution is a difficult doctrine. Now it's beautiful if it has impacted you personally and you've really experienced God's forgiveness and the amazing grace. Um, 
that the Lord gives us at the cross. But if that is something that uh, you view more on an academic level, it, it is a hard doctrine. And uh, the only real reason why someone would hold to it is because they hold to the inspiration of scripture and they believe God's word has spoken and they believe that God has spoken with clarity on this issue. Right. And so if you don't believe God has spoken with clarity on this issue, then the cross doesn't take on the meaning that uh, it necessarily would if you believe that God has spoken with clarity on this issue. So it can kind of take more of a meaning that you find more uh, logical or morally acceptable. And that's why that's why it becomes anarchy. Yeah. Yep. Well, should we di- should we dive right in? I think we should dive right in. So cool. I think the key text is going to be Second Timothy three, and starting in verse ten. So it says, you, however, this is Paul talking to Timothy, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured. Yet from them all, the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So <clears throat> I think that this is a key text. Um, there's there's obviously a lot more, and we'll probably talk about those. But this, this text of all texts uh, is probably the clearest about scripture's, uh, about scripture's nature. So when we talk about scripture, oftentimes we're talking about the inspiration of scripture, right? And we get that word inspiration because the KJV translated the word theonustos, theonustos, which is breathed out by God in the ESV. That's how that gets translated. Uh, The KJV translated it as inspired. Mm. All scripture is inspired by God. Yeah. Um, But the word is theonustos. You can hear if if you had any Greek or are just like acquainted with it on any level, then you hear the word theos there. which is God, and you kind of hear some a little bit of a fragment of the word, uh, of the word, um, like you hear nustos there. That kind of you kind of understand that that comes from the word breath or spirit, mm. and so it's it's breathed out by God, theon nustos, and so it's literally His word, yeah. Because as you as you speak, you you yeah. breathe. That's oh, yeah. what it's alluding to. Yeah, God's the scripture is. Intimate to God as the breath in our lungs mm. is to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a very intimate way of looking at. Yep. And, and that's that's not just us saying that. Scripture claims it itself. Mm-hmm. That that's what that's what it is. Yeah, that's what Scripture says about itself. Yeah. Yep. And notice that he that what he says he he's contrasting relying on Scripture and believing in what Scripture says with deceiving and being deceived. Mm. Mm. 
And, and so the idea is that scripture is able to keep you wise for salvation and it's able to keep you grounded in every good work and it's able to keep you wise in what God wants uh, you to believe and what he wants you to do. Yeah. And if you let go of that, then you will deceive and be deceived. Yeah, yeah. Just like what we were talking about. Mm-hmm. If you let go, so scripture says, if you let go of it and taking it and holding it in the uh, reality of what it is, mm-hmm. God's words literally breathe, his mm-hmm. breath, um, his words, if you take it for anything less than that, um yeah, I guess you could say your truth will be relative and you yeah. can deceive people and and uh, or you will be deceived. That's right. I mean, even starting back in Genesis, mm. God's word yep. is what is creating the whole world. Yep. Yep. And it's God's word that is questioned when Eve right. and Ad, Adam and Eve uh, first sin. Did God really yeah. say in the day you eat of uh, this tree, you shall surely die? Yeah. Yeah. That's Satan. That is Satan twisting God's word and calling it into question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then and then just moving through the old through the Old Testament, you have uh Moses and Aaron mm-hmm. before Pharaoh. Yeah. Speaking for God before him and this is his the, their authority that they are speaking for God. Mm-hmm. So you have like you have the idea of prophethood yeah. now coming in. Yeah. You know, and in Moses was speaking the words of God to the people of Israel. So mm-hmm. Moses was the mouthpiece of God yep. for the people of Israel. Yep. And uh and you see with the prophets, what are they always saying? Thus saith the Lord. Yes. Right? Yep. yep. Um Yeah, so or, they're not saying like, Hey, I'm I'm uh I'm Zachariah. Mm-hmm. And uh, these are some of my thoughts. That's exactly right. It's, this yep. is from God. <laughs> That's exactly right. And without getting into it, uh, there is, you know, without getting too much into it, that's one of the things that is unique to a prophet is that they're literally speaking the word of God. That's right. Um, but that's, yeah. That's, that's another, another thing. thing. That's another thing. For another time. <laughs> and, and one thing that's very, uh, one thing that is kind of getting popular nowadays with certain with certain uh, teachers out there is saying that the old Testament is the story of God's people trying to figure him out. Mm. And, and so mm. that, it, because when you frame the old Testament that way, you can kind of look at books like Joshua mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. God is saying, kill everything, yeah. spare nothing. And you can kind of say, well, <laughs> they misunderstood God. Yeah. Well, when you understand that the prophets are not trying to figure God out, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they're not like getting some sort of mystical feeling. Yeah. They're actually hearing God's voice. Yeah. And God is saying, speak this, write this. So much so that God actually banks his own glory on the promises he makes Mm. through the prophets. Yep. Which is important because (laughs) God's glory is the thing that he is most selfish about. (laughs) That's what he's most concerned about. That's what he's most concerned about. So that's an important point to remember that he's banking that on his glory. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. And then you move uh, into the New Testament with Jesus and and just just take just look at Matthew one. Just look at Matthew one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, that verse is all about 
believing what God said in the Old Testament. Yeah. Yep. Because what does it mean? I mean, like we we know what it means when when he said when the when Matthew says Jesus is the son of David. God had made certain promises to David that um that he would have a descendant to reign on his throne forever. Yeah. And that the government would be on his shoulders and that he would be called the prince of peace, mighty God, everlasting father. Um these sorts of titles which are high and exalted titles for mm. a son of David, like just a mere human. What's that like so what Matthew is trying to say is that this is that son of David coming and then son of Abraham going back even farther, right? So Genesis um in Genesis 12. Yep, recalling the Abrahamic covenant. Yeah, that's yep. absolutely right. Yep. Recalling that God had promised to Abraham that he would um be the father of many nations in that in his seed singular mm-hmm. in in one of his descendants all the nations of the world would be blessed. Yep. 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 And so the whole point of this first verse of Matthew is recalling what God said in the Old Testament and mm-hmm. believing what he said in the Old Testament. Yeah. Believing yeah. that what he said is trustworthy. It's not something to unhitch from. It's something yeah. that is actually, in fact, without it, uh, because there's authority to be found in there. Because without it, that doesn't make sense. No, nothing. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. It, so from the Old Testament... Up until uh, the New Testament, you have the Bible saying this this is, the whole canon says this is the word of God. And it's important. And there's coupling points between oh, yeah. the two. They're, they're, they're in no way oh, yeah. unhitched. And you see it right in the first opening words. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And that's, and that's something, you're hitting on something very important is that for any given text of scripture, there are two authors. Mm-hmm. There's the human author. Mm-hmm. And then there's the divine author. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's the human author who had an intention, yeah. who had a point he was making. Yep. Um, and then there's the divine author who could see how the whole thing was going to come together. Yeah. Yep. There's the divine author who could see how this promise made to David yeah. connected back to all the promises made to Adam and Eve, mm-hmm. made to Noah, made yeah. to Abraham, made to Isaac, made to Jacob. Uh, brought over to David and then made through all and then the same promise made through all the prophets you Mm -hmm. see in Daniel the son of man figure Mm -hmm. ascending to the ancient of days to receive glory yep Yep. and then you come to Jesus and you see that this is that son of man Mm -hmm. and you can see that the divine author could see it all all along he saw how the whole story was going to fit together yep and when you get to Jesus you see how Jesus is the answer to all of this. And when you get to Jesus, you actually find that he had a very high view of scripture. Yes. <laughs> he had yes, an he extremely high view of scripture. Yep. Um, in fact, in Matthew 5, uh, Matthew 5, 17, uh, starting in verse 17, it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or mm-hmm. the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Yep. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Yep. Now, when he says not an iota, not a dot, Jesus is saying that God's intention 
with the inspiration of scripture goes down to the very letters used mm-hmm. in the yeah. words that were chosen. He's making a point by saying <laughs> that. By saying that. Okay. Isn't there a translation that says every dot and tittle? Yeah, jot and tittle. Every jot and tittle. <laughs> every jot and tittle. Yeah. That's a, he's making a point. Like uh-huh. every there's not some of it that was like Moses's idea. Oh yeah. Because at this point, I think it kind of goes without saying that the, those he was speaking to uh, the Jews, they they under, they had all of the Old Testament, specifically oh, yeah. Moses' writings, and they believed that to be scripture. Oh, yeah. And so he's saying all of it. It wasn't someone's opinion. Mm-hmm. All of it is to be fulfilled. All the prophets' words are to be fulfilled, and he came to fulfill mm-hmm. them. That That's what he came to yeah. do. And notice he did not, he specifically says, I did not come to abolish them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus thinks the law is good. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus thinks that the law was a good thing given by God mm-hmm. for a good reason. Yep. Yep. And but here's the thing, when you deny inspiration, there's a lot of things where you go to the law and because we don't understand what was happening there or maybe we have a view of morality that God does not share with us. Mm-hmm. If we don't believe that God inspired scripture mm-hmm. and breathed it out, mm-hmm. we just reject it. Yeah. Which yeah. is what happens mm-hmm. when people who deny inerrancy come to uh, the Torah. Yep. There's a whole lot of denying going on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, Jesus Jesus spoke of it quite a bit of the Old Testament oh, yeah. and, and, and quote, quoted it, but also gave it authority, mm-hmm. uh, spoke to its authority. Mm-hmm. Um, in Mark 12, 35, he talks about David. Um, and he says, in Jesus answering, uh, answering began to say as he taught in the temple, how is it that the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David said, in the Holy Spirit, mm. the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Mm. Jesus, Jesus spoke to its authority. Um, so not only does the New Testament in the uh, pastoral mm-hmm. epistles speak and in in Revelation mm-hmm. uh, speak and say these things are true. What we're writing to you is true. If it wasn't, um, <laughs> all this would be for naught. Oh, it, yeah. it would pass away, and you should believe nothing else but then, mm-hmm. but the true gospel. Um, and so it speaks for itself. And the Old Testament speaks for itself. But mm-hmm. then Jesus, Jesus Himself, actually spoke to it and said, "This has authority." Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And uh, Jesus makes one of the strongest statements about the inspiration of Scripture. And really, I, I think you could use the word inerrancy of Scripture in John chapter 10. Mm. In John chapter 10, Jesus is talking to the, um, <clears throat> to the I think it's to the Pharisees. And in starting in verse 31, it says, The Jews picked up uh, stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of them are you going to stone me? Mm. The Jews answered him, It is not for a good work that we are going to stone you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, make yourself God. Jesus answered them, "Uh, Is it not written in your law, I said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be broken, (laughs) Mm -hmm. do you say of whom the Father consecrated, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God? Now, this is a difficult text for interpreting why Jesus, exactly why Jesus quotes that psalm specifically. Mm -hmm. But if we can say anything about what Jesus is saying here, 
Jesus is making a very strong statement about the authority of scripture. Yeah. Very strong statement. Yeah. He is saying that scripture cannot be broken and he applies that to a psalm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. An individual psalm. Yep. yep. That's exactly right. And this and this actually might be a really really good segue in that all scripture is authoritative and from God even the difficult ones and the unclear ones. Mm. We don't, it doesn't have to, scripture doesn't have to be absolutely clear to us for it to be inspired. This isn't Mm. a buffet line. You can't say like, Mm -hmm. this is really clear and really helpful and really loving. I'm going to take this, but I'm going to leave out Saul talking to the witch of Endor. Mm -hmm. I'm going to leave out the parts in second Peter where he's talking about false prophets. And because I don't know specifically what he's saying, just because it's not clear doesn't mean it's an authority. It's not an authoritative word from God. And it's not actual inerrant scripture. That is is so true. Yeah, we can't pick and choose. And, And one thing that's really important to understand about that is that we are under scripture. Mm -hmm. When we read it, we cannot look at it as though we are over scripture. Mm -hmm. Now, there are certain ways in which we have to be over scripture in terms of like, we have to interpret it. We have to be over it in terms of, we have to analyze it and try to figure out what it's saying, but we are not over it in the sense of we can dismiss part of it. If it makes us feel uncomfortable or Mm -hmm. if we don't like it, or if we have a hard time trying to figure out how it logically fits together, we are under scripture in every way. And it's kind of some, a way that I, think about it is we we can make judgments about scripture in the same way that a uh, a judge is supposed to make judgments about how the law code applies in a certain circumstance right. they don't make judgments about what laws should apply yeah they yeah. don't make judgments about whether or not the law is good mm-hmm. yes, they make judgments about how to properly apply it Mm. in a given situation. That's the way in which we make judgments about scripture. Not, not as a, uh, we do not make judgments about scripture as a, um, as a legislature. Yeah. Yeah. As a writer of the law. That's exactly Mm. right. We do not make judgments about scripture saying, actually, I think this law should be amended. Mm -hmm. I think that this should be changed because I don't think it fits with our situation. I don't think it, um, is just whatever your reason is. It's not culturally acceptable anymore. (laughs) Yeah. We do not make judgments about scripture as a legislature, but as a judiciary. Yeah. We are we are under the law, mm-hmm. making decisions through it. Yep, we're under its authority. That yeah, yep. we are under scripture. Yep, yep, yeah. Um, so let's pivot um, just quickly to the, one of the main arguments when you talk about, or maybe when you're talking with people who are not Christians, mm-hmm. um, and when you are evangelizing or, or talking with with someone about it. Um, we we may reference scripture quite a bit. I hope we do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and one of the biggest arguments um, that you might come across is you can't really trust the Bible that you're holding in your hand mm-hmm. uh, because it's been passed down so many times. It's been translated so many times. Mm-hmm. It's been uh, copied so many times by hand. You can't trust it. Um, and if... I think a majority of us are being honest um, and those who have m- maybe not attended seminary mm-hmm. 
that's a good that's, that's a, hard that's a hard thing that's to answer. a hard yeah. thing to answer because all those things are true it has been copied by hand quite a bit yeah. uh, it has been translated quite a bit mm-hmm. um and uh and sometimes those translations can be translated different ways mm-hmm. which is why we have uh the esv mm-hmm. the new king james the niv you know all these different translations um and so that that can sometimes be a hard mm-hmm. argument for people to answer that's exactly right, and so. it is something that uh, actually can cause people to, um, well, oftentimes people, when they leave the faith, they will give uh, a distrust for scripture yeah. as the reason why they left. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of it um, comes down to a misunderstanding of how we actually got the Bible mm-hmm. today. So um, now that being said, at one point or another, you're going to choose whether or not you want to believe scripture. Correct. Yep. I can't scientifically yep. prove every detail mm-hmm. of scripture to you. I cannot mm-hmm. scientifically prove that an Ethiopian eunuch was baptized by a deacon named Philip or an a evangelist named Philip. That's correct. Yeah. I cannot scientifically prove that. So at some point, you're going to come to scripture and say, I believe what it's saying because I think it's trustworthy. Yeah. Yep. Now, that does not mean that there are um, that there are not very good reasons to think scripture is trustworthy. So let's deal with the whole how can we trust the Bible thing? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll just say quickly to, to that point, not only is that true of us and like something mm-hmm. we can say, scripture also says that. Mm-hmm. It says like... It will be illuminated to you. Yeah. His sheep will hear his name. Yeah. Or hear, it will, hear his voice. Uh, yeah. hear his voice. That's yep. exactly right. And so, like, there's no, you can't go through enough logical arguments to overcome someone's constant. You mm-hmm. can, you certainly can, and there is historical reasons why we can be confident, but eventually, at the, at the root of it, you're either going to believe it or not. At one point, God's got to do something. That's correct. Yeah. At some point, yep. God has to say, "Let there be light yep. in your heart." Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. Yep. And and there's got it. That's Second Corinthians four. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but as for the whole, like it's been translated and trains, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, so oftentimes the argument people will give is they'll say, "Well, it's kind of like the telephone game, right? Yep. If I speak one thing, if I whisper it, if I whisper this into your ear." And then you whisper it into someone else's ear and maybe you heard it a little weird. So you get something wrong. Well, by the time you get to the end of the telephone chain, it's a completely different sentence, right? It's a totally different sentence. So that is uh, the analogy that gets used oftentimes. So there's a few things that um, have to be understood about this, though, Mm -hmm. um, in order to understand why um, why we actually can trust the Bible. So first of all, sometimes people say, well, it's been translated over and over and over again. How do you know that what you have is even what it originally was? Well, the word translate um, is to take the it, it, what translate means is to take the meaning of something of a sentence in its original language and transfer that meaning into another language into your target language. Mm-hmm. So if I say there there are precise ways to do the, to do this and there are more dynamic ways to do this. So if I say NRK ain't halagos. That means in English, in the beginning was the word. Mm-hmm. Um, that is translation. Mm. That is translation to take the meaning 
of a statement in one language and bring it into another language. Mm-hmm. Now, you can be more and less more or less precise about that, right? So, uh, the word logos in Greek is a lot more it's a lot more varied. It's got a whole lot wider uh, what's called dynamic or sorry, uh, it's got a whole lot wider uh, linguistic domain than our word uh, for word, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Our word which is word. Yeah. Uh, it's got a lot wider semantic domain. That's what it's called. That being said, what you have to do is you have to narrow down what is John trying to do here based on the whole book, mm-hmm. based on what he says later. What's he trying? What's that precise meaning he's trying to get at with Logos, right? So yeah. that's what that means. That is not what has happened with scripture. We So the Old Testament, um, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew with a little bit of Aramaic um, in there, especially in Daniel. And the New Testament was written in a language called Koine Greek. Mm-hmm. Now, we possess innumerable manuscripts. Well, not innumerable, but a lot of <laughs> manuscripts of both the Old and the New Testament in their original language. And some of them are really, really, really old. Mm-hmm. Right. And so in the Old Testament, now we could get really deep into this, but in but for the Old Testament, the oldest Hebrew manuscripts we have for the Old Testament are called the Dead Sea Scrolls. Mm-hmm. Um, Which were found in the 90s? Uh, I th- actually, I think they were found in... Yeah, I think they were found in 1930-something. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, I think so. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I okay. could be wrong about that, but I think they were found in 1930-something. Uh, yeah. Anyways, they that's the oldest Hebrew text we have for uh, many parts of the Old Testament. Um, and then the, the, but the majority of the text we have is what's called the Masoretic Texts text which dates back to about the 7th century AD 1946 1946 okay Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered yeah (laughs) were discovered in 1946 so uh, (laughs) but anyways the um, what we have to understand is that this is the original language that the Old Testament was written in Mm -hmm. and for the New Testament we have about 6,000 Greek manuscripts Mm. of the New Testament now some of them are the entire New Testament, mm-hmm. and some of them are little credit card sized um, little portions yeah. of like a book. R- real quickly, just for the m- manuscript. Yes, sorry. Manuscript is a hand copied. Mm-hmm. When I talk about a manuscript for the Bible, I'm talking about a hand copied portion of scripture. Okay. Yep. No matter how large it is. Yeah. There's a manuscript called Codex Sinaiticus, which is the whole Bible. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Including the Greek Septuagint. Yeah. Um, okay. But something there's another manuscript called P52 that is a little credit card size slice of John. Mm. And it's actually the earliest dated manuscript we have from either yeah. late first century or early second century AD. Yeah. And these are important because we don't have literally the John when That's he was right. sitting at the desk writing it. We don't have that. We have copies of That's that. That's exactly right. So the actual piece of paper John wrote on is yeah. called the autograph. Mm, okay. We do not possess any autographs of the Bible. Yep. yep. So you could say, okay, even though we have the original language and therefore the Bible has not been translated over and over and over and we can't mm-hmm. have lost meaning through translation, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. could we have lost meaning through transmission? Okay. That's the real question. And yep. this is where um, 
this is where the rubber really meets the road with biblical scholarship. Mm -hmm. So um, talking about the Old Testament first, um, parts of the Old Testament were written so long before we could even possibly have manuscripts of it. Mm -hmm. Like, like, goodness, like 1400 BC. Yeah. Like these are old texts. Yeah. And our earliest text is from about 200 BC. Okay. About 200 BC. I cannot scientifically prove to you that the words written down on the Dead Sea Scrolls Mm-hmm. are the same words that Moses wrote in Leviticus. Correct. Yes. I cannot scientifically prove that to you, but yeah. what I can do, and this is um and this is what I like what I kind of call like triangulation. Okay. What I can do is I can show you that the text is very consistent not only across time, but across different versions mm-hmm. of the Old Testament. So mm-hmm. Here's an example. You ha- you not only have the Dead Sea Scrolls that you're looking at when you uh, try to understand uh, what the Old Testament said in its original language. You also have this, the Greek Septuagint, which is just the the Greek Old Testament. Yeah. It was translated between the uh, 4th and 2nd century BC. Um, and this text is extremely consistent with the Hebrew text. Mm. There are many different... Um, people say that there are many different Septuagints. Uh, yeah. Because there there were many people diff- translating the mm-hmm. Hebrew into the Greek, just as we have many different English translations today. Um, but one thing we know is that the Hebrew text has always been very consistent. It's always uh, and and there's always been a consistent stream of the of the Hebrew text, not only through the um, not only as we can see in translation with the Greek Septuagint, which technically the text of that dates earlier than the Dead Sea Scrolls. Okay. Um, but we also can see it in things like in languages like Syriac. Okay. We can see it in things like um, the Samaritan version of the of the the Torah, which which is highly modified. Mm-hmm. But. There's a reason, like, that's one reason why the Jews thought so lowly of the Samaritans, because they had a messed up Old Testament. Sure. Okay. And so, but we can still see the stream of it. We can still see the vein of the, like, very carefully kept Hebrew text. And so, and now, so that's across, that's kind of triangulating the text. We can see what's being said here. Yes. But not only that, across time. Mm-hmm. So the the um, Masoretic text is far later than the Dead Sea Scrolls and far later than the um, actual text of the Old Testament was, was written. But it is extremely down to the dot consistent mm. with the Dead Sea Scrolls in its text. Yeah. Uh, in fact, recently they digitally unwrapped the book of Leviticus from mm. the Dead Sea Scrolls. Wow. They thought it was going to be highly modified. Yeah. Or many people, many people thought it was going to be highly modified, very different from the Masoretic text. It proved nearly identical yeah. down to the letter. Yeah. Nearly identical to the Masoretic text yeah. of the Old Testament, yeah. which came around the seventh century uh, BC or AD, the seventh century AD, and uh, the Masoretes, who are the ones who copied the Masoretic text, apparently t- were painstakingly careful with how they copied the Old Testament. And so, wh- what I, what I would just say is that the transmission of the Old Testament has always been something that. Um, that the, the 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 people of Israel 
and the Jews have been very careful about. Yeah. And Christians have been very careful about as well. There's a history. there's a phrase describing them. They were the uh, maintainers of mm. scripture. Are you familiar with them? Talking about? No, I'm not familiar. Um, the keepers of it because they mm. they were careful to to copy it. They were careful in that way. And and to your point, basically, is that we have we have text manuscripts from various times, all of them very mm-hmm. old. And um, from different folks and uh, translated from Hebrew to Greek, mm-hmm. um, saying virtually the same thing. Yeah. And w- there's consistency in that. And so we can trust it, um, mm-hmm. knowing that over uh, time and over uh, uh, people, I guess, mm-hmm. different copiers. Yeah. Uh, they they have been consistent, and they so we, we we can we can be, we can be confident and trust that's right. trust that because you're saying there yeah. isn't a ton of though there is some variance mm-hmm. in today that we see in translations. Mm-hmm. Our greater um, our greater concern would be is there a huge variance in the transmission? That's correct, and, and that's there correct. isn't. Yeah, and there isn't. There isn't. So now moving to the New Testament. You're, you're going to see uh, that there's a different way that the New Testament was transmitted because the, the early church was heavily persecuted. Mm-hmm. And so you don't have the kind of the same kind of transmission going on with the New Testament as you did with the Old Testament. Okay. The New Testament was transmitted very freely. Mm. You had regular Joe Schmoes copying Ephesians from their pastor's copy of it and okay. hoping that the you know if you were if you lived in Israel pre 70 AD um, in hoping that you know your local synagogue authorities didn't find out you had it or something like that you know like it was transmitted very freely as in it there wasn't like some overarching controlling authority yeah. governing what the text looked like yeah so yeah. this means that textual variance and what a textual variant is is it's a um, when you read one manuscript of the Bible and it says Jesus loved John and then you read another manuscript of the Bible and it says John was loved by Jesus Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that's a mm -hmm, variant mm -hmm. often normally they're saying the same thing thing, basically or trying to get at the same idea there's just a little a little bit of difference Mm -hmm. Uh, so with the New Testament it was transmitted very freely which means that these were normally not professional scribes yeah copying it they were normal people because they were letters written to so Paul's letter to the Mm -hmm. Ephesians was written to the church that's right it wasn't necessarily written to one person. Yeah, that's exactly it, it, right. And so it was meant to be to the church. So yeah. if, if if it's to the church, all these people would need to read it. Mm-hmm. And so it wouldn't just be for the the pastor or the mm-hmm. elder of that church. Mm-hmm. It's for the whole congregation. Yep, that's right. And so, and so because of this, because it was transmitted very freely, textual variants do enter into the what's called the textual tradition, the okay. manuscript tradition of mm-hmm. the New Testament. Now, one thing to know about the New Testament is that it was transmitted very widely. So there's there's manuscripts from all different parts of the Roman world. Mm-hmm. So you have what's called the Alexandrian text. Um, and this is a family of manuscripts that all share s- similar sorts of variants um, in them. 
Uh, and then you have what's called the Byzantine text. And these manuscripts all share similar sorts of variants in them. And then there's the Western text. Now, that one's actually come under debate as to whether it's an actual text you can establish, but we'll just assume you can. Um, and that has its own sorts of variants in them. So what's really cool about New Testament uh, textual criticism is that we have so many manuscripts and many of them are quite early, like Codex Sinaiticus is from the third century. Mm. Codex Vaticanus as well is from the third century. Both of them, Sinaiticus is, is an entire New Testament. Vaticanus is almost an entire New Testament. And then you have what's called the papyri. Some of those date back to like the early second century. This is like 110 AD, like Hmm. 120 AD. Very, very, very very early. Yeah. Um, And you what's so beautiful about New Testament textual criticism is that we have such early testimony and we have such wide testimony. Mm. Remember what I said, not only early, but also consistent through time yeah. that we can triangulate what the original uh, text has said yeah. such that I could pick up a Bible and really truly believe that what I'm reading yeah. in Luke yeah. is what Luke actually wrote down. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now, and there's also uh, the idea of um, the early church and these councils mm. agreeing that this is our canon. Yeah. And that what we have today, the, the books of the Bible that we have today are scripture mm-hmm. and not just well-respected writings yes. of that time. Yes. So the issue of the canon, how did we come across the canon? <laughs> yeah, because, we, because we, oh. we've talked about how... The Bible says, just just kind of like a quick to how we got. The Bible says it's scripture, it's God breathed, uh, and we say we can we can trust yeah. it. So it claims itself. Um, there then comes the idea. Okay, how do we know that what mm. we're reading is actually what was wrote? And we know from uh, a lot of various manuscripts, uh, they're consistent and that we can trust them um, both in the Old and the New Testament Mm -hmm. and through the translations. Um, But now, how do we know that what we're reading isn't just well-respected writings, but literally the Mm. scripture, uh, the canon? Um, And um, my first thought is when we come to the the early church and the early church fathers and uh, apostolic authority, Mm. um, it's recognized in the early church um, and the early church leaders uh, that the apostles had the authority. Mm -hmm. And so their writings uh, were considered scripture, their Mm -hmm. writings to the churches. And then uh, the early church fathers accepted those writings Mm -hmm. uh, through various councils uh, that they are scripture. So one thing I would point out is, so there's a lot of people who think the Council of Nicaea mm-hmm. was about the canon. Mm-hmm. It was not about the canon. No decisions about the canon were made okay. at the Council of Nicaea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the earliest council we have regarding the canon. Now, that was influential. Councils were very influential. But that's actually later. Mm, okay. The most influential thing in deciding the canon was the canon. Mm. There's really no other way of putting it. It, These writings from the early church, there was some debate. Yes. So Hebrews was debated. Second Peter and Jude were debated Mm -hmm. um, as uh, Revelation was debated, which should make us feel comfortable that the church wasn't just accepting books about 10 headed dragons all the time. (laughs) You know, like it was heavily debated. Yeah. Um, But what 
what's was what's so compelling about the canon is that it was and there's this is a phrase that it, it gets used often it was discovered mm. not invented Mm, yeah. The canon was discovered, not invented. Yeah. In other words, these books were so universally used by the church. Correct. So, so yeah. universally recognized yeah. that it was just obvious what the yeah. what the new covenant scripture should be. Yeah. It wasn't like there was a group of guys yeah. in a back room that got mm-hmm. together and said, this kind of fits for what we think. Mm-hmm. Let's put all this together, exactly and this right, is yeah. now our Bible. Yep. Now there, it wasn't always perfect. There was some people who thought the Epistle of Barnabas was scripture. There were some people who thought uh, uh, that the Epistle of Clement mm-hmm. was scripture. Um, but what's so compelling about the canon is that um, these books of scripture that we have in our Bible, the twenty-seven books of the New Testament, they were universally recognized. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, they were used in yeah. liturgy. Mm. Um, yeah. They were they were used in the public reading of scripture. Yeah. They were used for arguments regarding the deity of Christ mm. mm-hmm. and those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we do have some early canon lists from people actually mm. um, that have our twenty seven books of the uh, of of the New Testament in them listed. And, and one thing, one other thing that I that I would. Um, that I would posit to you is that the early church recognized which, uh, which books should be included by not grouping the sacred books with heretical books. Okay. So there are things called the Gnostic gospels, which are from about the second century and they're false gospels. They're false testimonies about what Jesus did. Mm -hmm. Uh, they're very late and we know that. Um, and we have, we have these writings and they were discovered uh, not too, too long ago. Um, and, and what you might expect if there was a whole lot of confusion about, you know, what what should be included in scripture is that you would expect that some people thought uh, these books were scripture and the other gospels were scripture. Right. That's yeah. something you would expect. Mm-hmm. But what you find is that the church has always recognized that, that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John are unique to themselves. Mm-hmm. So what you never find, what you never find is a Gnostic gospel bound together with a canonical gospel in the manuscript in the manuscript tradition yeah you never yeah. find that yeah that's interesting they it was i guess you could say universally rejected mm-hmm. as not part of yeah of the canon so now you could ask okay so what why did why were these books so universally recognized and mm-hmm. that's something that probably we'll have to get into next week because i think i have to go yeah yeah <laughs> no but this was good this was good um and we'll just say that uh this is um, our basis for going to be the, pretty much the rest of the mm-hmm. the, the podcast as That's we exactly di- right. as we discuss things that might be explicitly spiritual or mm-hmm. dealing with the church or things that might not yeah. be. Um, man, we we hold the Bible in high esteem. That's and, right. And so we're gonna go to it frequently to figure out how to deal with a lot That's of these right. pop culture. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And what we have just espoused in this podcast is what is called the verbal plenary inspiration of Scripture. It's verbal in that we actually think the literal words mm-hmm. in Scripture mm-hmm. are what God intended. Yeah. And it's plenary in that we think all of them yeah. are what God intended. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that doesn't mean that when Paul writes, he can't write as Paul. Right. You know, he can't give his he can't actually let his personality shine through. But it means that when we read Romans we're reading what Paul said, yes, but we're we're what we're reading is what God mm-hmm. wanted Paul to say. Yeah. We're re- what reading re- we're reading what the Holy Spirit said through Paul. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, this is good. 
I'm excited uh, to keep talking about this. Heck yeah, um, man. And uh, yeah. You folks, guys have a beautiful Have time. a beautiful time. Beautiful Welcome day. to 2020. That's right. And, uh, and thanks for stopping by. Forgotten name. Forgotten name. Forgotten name.